Welcome to another UCTV.TV podcast presented by University of California Television. The next session, session three, has a peculiar title, and that is uh, What Every President Should Know About Energy Efficiency. And so we're going to have a group of speakers uh, imagine what they would do if they had 10 minutes with the president. And I, I think it's worth ex explaining um, how, we, how we were inspired or where the inspiration came from for this session. And it's from our first speaker, Rich Mueller, who wrote a book called Physics and Technology for Future Presidents. And I think this is the second edition because uh, that wasn't the first title. It was some... And, uh, but I just want to uh, call your attention to it because it's coming out, unlike uh, some of the other speakers whose books are promised any moment now. <laughs> Rich has, a, has a, a tome here to throw at you if you uh, don't turn off your cell phone. So I will uh, turn it over to Rich right away. As I was trying to think what it is I could say to a group like this that knows more than any other group that I ever speak to, uh, I decided to try to uh, concentrate on, on, a, on a few items. Let me just begin with the generalities that you all know. One is that there are really two issues, or two challenges, and they're often combined or, separate, or confused. There's uh, the whole issue of climate change and global warming, which is related to carbon dioxide and the other greenhouse gases, something we're all deeply concerned about. There's also energy security. Uh, my joke is that you go up to any uh, Republican and ask them about climate change, and before you know it, they're telling you all about energy security. Go to any uh, Democrat and mention energy security, and before you know it, they've changed to climate change and global warming. These are two issues, both of them deeply related to energy, and uh, they're, they're two challenges, but in one field, they can be addressed together. Efficiency and conservation address both of these issues. Some things only address one, some address the other, but the topic of our discussion today addresses both the global warming thing and the energy security issue. We're not running out of fossil fuels. Most of you know this. Here's my chart. Uh, these are different countries. Here's the United States. Uh, so here we have Russia. Uh, take a look at the oil reserves of Saudi Arabia and how large they are and how tiny ours are. But if you look at the coal we have here, this is the natural gas. Natural gas reserves have gone up enormously by a factor of four or five in the last 15 years in the US. This is coal. Coal, of course, can be turned into oil. An interesting case here is Canada. Canada has enormous oil reserves, but about a year ago they didn't. They were almost down to one-fifth of what they have now. It depends a lot on the cost and, and the, and the uh, if, if, if the price of oil drops below $50 a barrel, uh, then Canada is basically put out of business. Uh, Saudi Arabia tries to keep the price down. This is something I learned from art years ago. Um, because these alternatives, which address energy security, but they don't address the global warming issue. We have lots of fossil fuels. It is dirt cheap. Uh, the coal is dirt cheap. That's a serious problem. World carbon dioxide projections. Uh, this was done in 2004. You can see the non-OECD countries are taking off. This is the projection. These are the data. Something curious about this and that is the break. Uh, this was done in 2004. This was a uh, the Energy Information Agency plot. This is what really happened. 
There was no break. There's a minor break, maybe a little bit of a break. But the carbon dioxide of the developing world has been shooting up. If we look just at China, 2006, a year that the Chinese, this has an offset zero, I apologize for that, but the Chinese uh, production surpassed that of the United States, not per person, way down per person. Unfortunately, global warming, we believe, is caused by CO2, not CO2 per person. And, we, and the thing that happened in 2006 is now the U.S. is no longer so glibly called the bad guy. I'm not interested in bad guys. I'm not blaming China. China is not to blame. They have every right to pollute every bitch as much as we do. And we can cut back on our pollution, and that's a really good thing to do. And I'm really in favor of that. But when I put on my problem-solving mode, my problem-solving hat, I say, I'm seriously concerned about carbon dioxide in the future. What can we do about it? We could cut back in the United States. And what will happen if we do that? Here we are, cutting back in the United States. You will notice that... This is a projected 6% growth for the emerging economies. China grew at, at 9% last year. There's a debate on whether their carbon emissions are going up at 5 or 6% or are they going up at 10% per year. This is disputed. China refuses to allow inspections. They regard that as a national security issue. That is why President Obama did not really sign a strong agreement at Copenhagen. It was because the Chinese refused to allow inspections. These are not inspections that can be done from space, not very easily from space in any case. But if you look at what's happening, you're seeing the emissions are going up, up, up. If the U.S. cuts by 80%, and or if we don't cut by 80%, it hardly matters. We have to recognize that the carbon dioxide problem is coming from the developing world. And if we ignore that fact, we are not solving the problem. We're doing something where 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, when we have carbon dioxide problems, global warming or whatever, we'll be able to say, well, at least it wasn't our fault. And that's not good enough for me. I believe we have a carbon dioxide problem. We have to do something about it. If we don't seriously address what's happening in the emerging economies, we're not really addressing it. How rapidly is this growing? Here's a, 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 a paper you may have seen published in 2009 with the uh, Chinese uh, growth, expected Chinese growth rates. Some people say that's impossible. It cannot maintain itself. It will turn over because their economy is a bubble that can't keep on growing. I don't believe that. I'm not an economist, so I can say anything I want on economics. And the, the thing I say is that the bubble from China is different. They are not expanding into a vacuum like our housing market was expanding into a vacuum, like the dot-coms were expanding into a vacuum. They're expanding into a world that has already achieved this wealth. And so they are coming up to match us. And until they do that, I fear that this this bubble will not burst. It will keep on growing. I don't fear it. I, I delight in it. I'm happy in it. But it really means that the carbon dioxide problem of the future is not one we can solve at home. We can set an example. But if our example is one that they cannot afford, then setting that example does no good. Here's the good news. This is the energy inefficiency. This is the tons of CO2 per dollar. This is, this is not local price parity. This is just per dollar. Uh, so it, 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 it's a little bit of a distortion. But here's the China, tons of CO2 per dollar, and here's the U.S. This is Russia. This is India. Over here we have uh, Iran, uh, Indonesia. The good news is that per GDP, the developing world is extremely inefficient. That's good because it gives us some hope. If we can develop the energy efficiency and the energy conservation methods, 
that they can adopt. Remember what I said. If we develop methods and we say, oh, we'll spend whatever we need. I don't care how expensive it is. I'm going to drive a battery-driven automobile because it's good. That's good for, for, for energy security. In terms of uh, carbon dioxide problem, by the way, I say carbon dioxide problem so I don't have to, so I can talk to the people who, who, who deny global warming too. <laughs> if, to address the carbon dioxide increase, we need something that either China can afford or we can afford to subsidize in China, one of the two. Uh, and coal is dirt cheap. Um, it, 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 it's hard to compete. Um, uh, this is the energy per GDP in constant dollars of the U.S. We have dropped by about 1% per year over 150 years. This is an improvement in efficiency. This is conservation. This is, this is the free market. This is what happens if you don't do anything. Um, Art uh, and, 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 and uh, uh, others have pointed out that during the Arab oil embargo, our efficiency dropped, improved by uh, 4% per year. 2% is easy. And if we can get that 2% efficiency, if China can get that 2% efficiency, if we could and this is, again, this is what I originally called Art Rosenfeld's Law before other people came up with another law for Art Rosenfeld, but it's in my book. I call it Rosenfeld's Law, that the, um, the population growth is topping off. Most people believe it will end at about 12 billion, I mean, 9 billion in, in, in 2050. With this kind of GDP of efficiency growth, we could have the whole world living at the European standard of living by the end of the century and not have, uh, and have less energy use worldwide than we have now. This is a plot that convinced many of us that global warming is clear and incontrovertible, uh, the so-called uh, hockey stick plot. And you can see here how the, these are tree ring data and how they shoot up. There's been a controversy lately because of the scandals, the email scandals about hiding the decline. I want to show you what that was. This is the way the data really look. This is the decline that they decided to hide. What they did is they truncated this and they added on temperature data and then smoothed it. These are the actual data. That is what was published. This is a controversy that has substance. Do not think that simply because it's, it's them versus us, the bad guys versus the good guys, that this is another intelligent design debate. You have to recognize here we are up against a challenge. There is substance to this and to the IPCC revelations that they have not followed the peer review system. This is going to cause us trouble. And don't put your scientific credentials defending them unless you look at it and see what's really going on. I know in the group that I grew up with, where Art Rosenfeld collected the data, making the Rosenfeld tables, that if somebody had done this, they would have been kicked out. This is a serious problem. You need to know that. Birth rates are going down faster than death rates. Population is going to level off. Economics was called the dismal science because of Thomas Nolfus. Energy efficiency is the glorious science because with energy going down, energy efficiency improving, and the population, we can have everybody at the European standard of living. This is what Art Rosenfeld taught me. 
So, bottom line summary, keep your eye on the prize. You know, U.S. automobiles, we can have electric automobiles, but they contribute so little to global warming, and they're going to contribute so little more, that yes, we can set an example that will be used by China, but not if they're expensive. The Chinese cannot afford a Tesla per person. You need to have cheap batteries. You need things that they can afford, otherwise you're not addressing the worldwide problem. As a future president, that's what you have to do. Uh, this is U.S. warming so far. This is the IPCC consensus, 0.4 degrees Celsius of which uh, U.S. automobiles contribute a 30th, maybe in the next uh, 30 years they'll contribute another couple 30ths, maybe a 15th of a degree Celsius. We can't solve the problem with U.S. technology unless it's cheap enough to be used in the developing world. Bottom lines again, it's not good enough to set an example unless they can afford it or we can subsidize it. Uh, expensive alternative energy does serve a useful purpose if it creates let's say liquid energy security. Uh, liquid energy security is a separate issue. Bottom lines, uh, cheap energy is necessary. Uh, the cheapest kind is conservation. Global warming will come from the economically emerging world. That's simply a fact. We better not lose sight of that. Uh, we have to stop our green bickering over which green is better than which green. I've said this before. Profitable clean is what we really need. I love this plot. It's a photo I took at Notre Dame in which the uh, compact fluorescent lights are illuminating it. Anybody who thinks compact fluorescents aren't beautiful, look at that. These are the, the cool paints that I learned about from art. So let me just finish up with a photograph of a future president. Uh, this photograph was taken two weeks ago when she was three days old. I am now a grandpa, and I'll just end up with that. Thank you very much. <laughs> Diane, what will you tell the president about utilities? Before I start, I'm just going to take a moment to join in the celebration of art um, because he and I have known each other for over 30 years. And I first got to know art when I started at the California Energy Commission in 1977, working on the very first round of the Title 24 building standards. And we talked this morning about what does it take to um, have the new workforce. And I just want to say that for me it was, I was a lawyer coming in not knowing anything and meeting a leader like Art on every level and also getting to enjoy his friendship. And I want to thank you on every part of that I am, that I also had the great honor of working with Art on a report to the legislature, if you recall, on how California can really embrace energy efficiency in the early 1980s. And I also had the honor to have, as an intern at my firm at that time, Chip, Art's son. So part of today is also what Chip brought to us. So I will just end up with my personal statement. Um, Art and I had the pleasure last year to travel to both China and India together. And so I'm going to modify this talk just a little bit to be not just what the president should know, because the great news is our president gets it on energy efficiency. And I hope everybody in the audience has just been following the leadership of President Obama on energy efficiency. It's like nothing we have ever seen but this is a story that every leader of every country, I think, should embrace. And what should the leaders know about energy efficiency? It's actually pretty easy. It's available, 
it saves money, and it helps the environment. And I think if that's the message that we can bring to leaders and businesses and utilities and consumers everywhere, that's where we are going to go. So I was asked just to present what is the California story with our utilities on energy efficiency, because that's part of the story that both Art and I have had the great fortune to tell as we have traveled around this country and around the world. So I'm going to try and zip through the slides fairly quickly, but for everybody here who is part of California, I want you to take pride in this story. This is our story built on 30 years of effort. And for those of you who work elsewhere in the country and elsewhere in the world, you too are contributing to this story. It's no longer just California's story. So here we go. I'm not going to try to go through this first slide. It just says that in California, we have embraced energy efficiency as a fundamental part of how we are endorsing and working on climate change. And that needs to be what every president and every leader of every country gets and embraces. If you're going to address climate change, you need to have energy efficiency as your number one tool that you're going to use. And that's what we're doing in California. As many of you know me, I wouldn't show up without talking about the California Energy Efficiency Long-Term Strategic Plan. It is available on a website, CaliforniaEnergyEfficiency.com. It's a roadmap that we're using in California for how we are going on with our energy efficiency matters through the utility programs, through our codes and standards, working with the utilities, working with the private sector. And this is something that, again, I would tell presidents and leaders everywhere. If you're going to embrace energy efficiency seriously, you need a written roadmap. The reason why we did this in California, you've heard about the numbers. We're currently spending over a billion dollars on energy efficiency. And what we realized, a billion dollars is a lot of money. Ten years, that's ten billion dollars. We can change entire markets, but we need to know where we're going as government. Our utilities need to know, they need to embrace it, they need to feel part of it. Our private companies need to be major investors in this movement as well, and they need to know where we're going so that they can make the necessary investments. So that's the second thing that I would say. After you say energy efficiency is a smart policy, then you work with all of the stakeholders and you develop a written plan, a roadmap of where you're going. These are the contents of the California plan. Um, they obviously are different for different uh, states and different countries, but they basically covered the general end use sectors as well as what we call the cross-cutting cross areas. This is the new Art Rosenfeld Memorial Chart. And Art, I know you love data, so here it is. The first part, which is the black line, is what is the California Energy Commission load forecast with the energy efficiency savings for the efforts that we have achieved to date. But please take note of the red line. This is the new Art Rosenfeld Memorial line, drawn in the sand. This is where we are going under our California policies and programs, our standards, our utility programs, with the goals of the savings. 
we are going to be able to achieve basically meeting all of our load growth now through our energy efficiency efforts. And that is the testimony, Art, that you have brought to this state and that we can bring everywhere that endorses energy efficiency. This is the new slide. Thank you. So, implementing the strategic plan, I won't spend a lot of time on it, but as you heard today, we're just always feeling great about where we're going. We were able to up the budget for our utility programs. We're now at $3.8 billion, counting the low-income uh, programs over the three-year period. We have really terrific savings numbers. We're talking about 1,500 megawatts. We are continuing our trend of annually in California, avoiding at least one large major power plant. And we also are using this, as I said, on a major tool of what we're doing with the carbon emission reductions. Since this is the Art Rosenfeld Symposium, I said we have to have demand response in here because while we haven't talked a lot about it today, for those of you who know Art, there's an entire other legacy that he has brought to California and nationally and internationally, and that is the concept of we are reducing our demand response by having very aggressive programs in those areas, by embracing smart meters throughout California. And so we have committed at my agency, working very closely with the Energy Commission, to have what I think is the largest demand response program in California. Very successful. It is allowing us again to be able to reduce the need for the new power plants. Economics. That's another thing that absolutely is something that any of us would tell the president. And obviously, as I said, our president gets it. Under the programs that we're doing in California now, we're creating, just over this three-year period, at a minimum of 15,000 to 20,000 new jobs. We've put in over $100 million for workforce training, and we have a specific target of working with the local governments. And this, again, I think is something that's very important when we're thinking about these things on the national level, is there's a partnership that needs to go on working with the local cities. We, again, can be extremely proud in California because our cities have launched, in my mind, among the best programs in the world on dealing with climate change and energy efficiency. Program highlights of what we're doing. Keep posted. Next month, California is launching the nation's largest home retrofit program in the country. In the country. We are going to be retrofitting with an average of at least 20% savings. So these are deep, comprehensive savings, over 120,000 homes over the next three-year period. We have been working very closely to have this program use part of the monies from the Energy Commission under the stimulus, and it is being developed so it's compatible with the Homestar program, which is part of the legislation that Congress is considering for job stimulus. So again, this is something that we really have been working on of how can we bring to scale our efforts. And by launching this home retrofit program, what we're really looking at doing under our strategic plan is saying, over the next 10-year period, California is making the commitment that literally building by building, we're going to do the retrofits that are needed to make 
our lifestyle the way we live efficient. We also are launching this year a completely revamped program on how we're doing the marketing and outreach on um, energy efficiency that's targeted with the latest thinking, the latest that we're getting from our educational institutions on how to change behavior. We're doing a terrific job, I think, on benchmarking buildings. Everybody who has been involved in this effort knows we don't have enough information about how buildings operate, how they use energy, how they save energy. So part of what we're doing is every single commercial and local government building in California that receives part of the utility rebate money information about those buildings are going in a centralized database here in California so that we can really understand and go to the next increment. We're launching a web portal that I'll talk about in a minute, and we're doing a complete relook at how we do the measurement and verification of energy efficiency. I don't have time to go into details, but there needs to be, in my mind, a complete rethinking of how we are tracking the savings from energy efficiency if we're going to really be doing energy efficiency at the scale that we know we can do and at the scale that we need to do it. One other item that we've done that we've been working on, and this has been with the um, Lighting Center here in Davis, is developing a strategic plan for California on where we're going with lighting. And for those of you who are interested, and this again would be a message to the leaders, lighting is hugely important when you talk about energy efficiency. And in order to do it in the way that we know is going to make the best of bringing in new technologies, you need to have a written plan. And this is something that is now almost out and final in California. We think it's the most advanced thinking on lighting, frankly, in the world in terms of putting this together, and this is now available as well. You heard earlier today we've got a great goal in California of going to zero net energy buildings. We're absolutely delighted that we also have funding now that's going into this effort, almost $180 million over the next three years, and this is something where we intend to make California the leader in the best thinking that's going on about zero net energy. But this is something, again, that there's no reason in my mind why California can't, why the United States can't take this on and say, we're really going to be a hub internationally on how we build new buildings and make this something that everywhere, this is what we're known for. So I'm just gonna stop with the last thing, which is it's really exciting news. We've been working on this for about two years, but we are going to be launching this summer an energy efficiency web portal for professionals. We have in California the best information available on energy efficiency because I think we're running the best programs. We've been doing the best work on standards ever, anywhere that I know of. But right now, what we've had to do is we frankly get on planes to go talk to people about what we're doing or people get on planes to come talk to us. That only is not good for the environment obviously but it's not efficient and since we're all about efficiency we decided and by we I mean many many people let's really take advantage of the internet 
So we are launching a very functional web-based platform that is going to be highlighting all of the types of work that we're doing in energy efficiency in California. We are working with the administration in Washington, D.C., so it will be linked up with their efforts, as well as efforts in other states. And we are also working closely with both India and China and some of the other countries around the world to be using this as a way that we can be exchanging information. So let me close just by saying again what I think the message to all leaders around the world is about energy efficiency. There's a reason why energy efficiency is the number one priority in California. It's available, it saves money, and it helps the environment. Thank you. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.